Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chapter 17 Mrs. Dashwood was surprised only for a moment at seeing him, for his coming to Barton was, in her opinion, of all things the most natural. Her joy and expression of regard long outlived her wonder. He received the kindest welcome from her, and shyness, coldness, reserve could not stand against such a reception. They had begun to fail him before he entered the house, and they were quite overcome by the captivating manners of Mrs. Dashwood. Indeed, a man could not very well be in love with either of her daughters without extending the passion to her, and Eleanor had the satisfaction of seeing him soon become more like himself. His affections seemed to reanimate towards them all, and his interest in their welfare again became perceptible. He was not in spirits, however. He praised their house, admired its prospect, was attentive and kind. But still, he was not in spirits. The whole family perceived it, and Mrs. Dashwood, attributing it to some want of liberality in his mother, sat down to table indignant against all selfish parents. "'What are Mrs. Farrow's views for you at present, Edward?' said she, when dinner was over and they had drawn round the fire. "'Are you still to be a great order, in spite of yourself?' "'No. I hope my mother is now convinced that I have no more talents and inclination for a public life.' "'But how is your fame to be established?' "'for famous you must be to satisfy all your family. "'And with no inclination for expense, "'no affection for strangers, no profession, and no assurance, "'you may find it a difficult matter. "'I shall not attempt it. "'I have no wish to be distinguished, "'and have every reason to hope I never shall. "'Thank heaven I cannot be forced into genius and eloquence. "'You have no ambition, I well know. "'Your wishes are all moderate.' "'As moderate as those of the rest of the world, I believe. "'I wish as well as everybody else to be perfectly happy. "'But, like everybody else, it must be in my own way. "'Greatness will not make me so.' "'Strange that it would,' cried Marianne. "'What have wealth or grandeur to do with happiness?' "'Grandeur has but little,' said Eleanor. "'But wealth has much to do with it.' "'Eleanor, for shame,' said Marianne. "'Money can only give happiness where there is nothing else to give it. "'Beyond a competence, it can afford no real satisfaction, "'as far as mere self is concerned.' "'Perhaps,' said Eleanor, smiling, "'we may come to the same point. "'Your competence and my wealth are very much alike, I dare say, "'and without them, as the world goes now, "'we shall both agree that every kind of external comfort "'must be wanting. "'Your ideas are only more noble than mine.' "'Come, what is your competence?' "'About eighteen hundred or two thousand a year. "'Not more than that.' "'Eleanor laughed. Two thousand a year? "'One is my wealth. "'I guessed how it would end. 
"'And yet two thousand a year is a very moderate income,' said Marianne. "'A family cannot well be maintained on a smaller. "'I am sure I am not extravagant in my demands. "'A proper establishment of servants, a carriage perhaps too, "'and hunters cannot be supported on less.' Eleanor smiled again to hear her sister describing so accurately their future expenses at Coom Magna. Hunters, repeated Edward, but why must you have hunters? Everybody does not hunt. Marianne colored as she replied, but most people do. I wish, said Margaret, striking out a novel thought, that somebody would give us all a large fortune apiece. Oh, that they would, cried Marianne, her eyes sparkling with animation, and her cheeks glowing with the delight of such imaginary happiness. "'We are all unanimous in that wish, I suppose,' said Eleanor, "'in spite of the insufficiency of wealth.' "'Oh, dear,' cried Margaret, "'how happy I should be. "'I wonder what I should do with it.' Marianne looked as if she had no doubt on that point. "'I should be puzzled to spend so large a fortune myself,' said Mrs. Dashwood, "'if my children were all to be rich without my help.' "'You must begin your improvements on this house,' observed Eleanor, "'and your difficulties will soon vanish.' "'What magnificent orders would travel from this family to London?' said Edward, "'in such an event. "'What a happy day for booksellers, music-sellers, and print-shops. "'You, Miss Dashwood, would give a general commission "'for every new print of merit to be sent you. "'And as for you, Marianne, I know her greatness of soul,' "'there would not be music enough in London to contend her. "'And books, Thompson, Cowper, Scott, "'she would buy them all over and over again. "'She would buy up every copy, I believe, "'to prevent their falling into unworthy hands. "'And she would have every book "'that tells her how to admire an old twisted tree. "'Should not you, Marianne? "'Forgive me if I am very saucy, "'but I was willing to show you "'that I had not forgot our old disputes.' "'I love to be reminded of the past, Edward, "'whether it be melancholy or gay. "'I love to recall it, "'and you will never offend me "'by talking of former times. "'You are very right in supposing "'how my money would be spent. "'Some of it, at least, my loose cash, "'would certainly be employed "'in improving my collection of music and books. "'And the bulk of your fortune "'would be laid out in annuities "'on the authors or their heirs.' "'No, Edward, I should have something else to do with it. "'Perhaps, then, you would bestow it as a reward "'on that person who wrote the ablest defense of your favorite maxim, "'that no one can ever be in love more than once in their life, "'for your opinion on that point is unchanged, I presume. "'Undoubtedly. "'At my time of life, opinions are tolerably fixed. "'It is not likely that I should now see or hear anything to change them.' "'Marianne is as steadfast as ever, you see,' said Eleanor. "'She is not at all altered. "'She has only grown a little more grave than she was.' "'Nay, Edward,' said Marianne, "'you need not reproach me. "'You are not so very gay yourself.' "'Why should you think so?' replied he, with a sigh. "'But gaiety never was a part of my character.' "'Nor do I think it a part of Marianne's,' said Eleanor. "'I should hardly call her a lively girl. "'She is very earnest, very eager in all she does, "'sometimes talks a great deal, and always with animation. "'But she is not often really merry.' "'I believe you are right,' he replied, "'and yet I have always set her down as a lively girl. 
"'I have frequently detected myself in such kind of mistake,' said Eleanor, "'in a total misapprehension of character in some point or other, "'fancying people so much more gay or grave or ingenious or stupid than they really are, "'and I can hardly tell why or in what the deception originated. "'Sometimes one is guided by what they say of themselves, "'and very frequently by what other people say of them, "'without giving oneself time to deliberate and judge.' "'But I thought it was right, Eleanor,' said Marianne, "'to be guided wholly by the opinion of other people. "'I thought our judgments were given us "'merely to be subservient to those of neighbors. "'This has always been your doctrine, I am sure.' "'No, Marianne, never. "'My doctrine has never aimed at the subjection of the understanding. "'All I have ever attempted to influence has been the behavior. "'You must not confound my meaning.' I am guilty, I confess, of having often wished you to treat our acquaintance in general with greater attention. But when have I advised you to adopt their sentiments, or to conform to their judgment in serious matters? You have not been able to bring your sister over to your plan of general civility, said Edward to Eleanor. Do you gain no ground? Quite the contrary, replied Eleanor, looking expressively at Marianne. My judgment, he returned, is all on your side of the question. "'but I am afraid my practice is much more on your sister's. "'I never wish to offend, but I am so foolishly shy "'that I often seem negligent "'when I am only kept back by my natural awkwardness. "'I have frequently thought that I must have been intended by nature "'to be fond of low company. "'I am so little at my ease among strangers of gentility. "'Marianne has not shyness to excuse any inattention of hers,' said Eleanor. "'She knows her own worth too well for false shame,' replied Edward. "'Shyness is only the effect of a sense of inferiority, in some way or other. "'If I could persuade myself that my manners were perfectly easy and graceful, "'I should not be shy.' "'But you would still be reserved,' said Marianne, "'and that is worse.' "'Edward started. "'Reserved? Am I reserved, Marianne?' "'Yes, very.' "'I do not understand you,' replied he, colouring. "'Reserved? How? In what manner? "'What am I to tell you? What can you suppose?' "'Eleanor looked surprised at his emotion, "'but trying to laugh off the subject, she said to him, "'Do not you know my sister well enough to understand what she means? "'Do not you know she calls everyone reserved "'who does not talk as fast and admire what she admires "'as rapturously as herself?' Edward made no answer. His gravity and thoughtfulness returned on him in their fullest extent, and he sat for some time, silent and dull. Chapter 18 Eleanor saw with great uneasiness the low spirits of her friend. His visit afforded her but a very partial satisfaction, while his own enjoyment in it appeared so imperfect. It was evident that he was unhappy, she wished it were equally evident that he still distinguished her by the same affection which once she had felt no doubt of inspiring. But hitherto the continuance of his preference seemed very uncertain, and the reservedness of his manner towards her contradicted one moment what a more animated look had intimated the preceding one. He joined her and Marianne in the breakfast room the next morning before the others were down, and Marianne, who was always eager to promote their happiness as far as she could, soon left them to themselves. But before she was halfway upstairs, she heard the parlor door open, 
and turning round, was astonished to see Edward himself come out. "'I am going into the village to see my horses,' said he. "'As you are not yet ready for breakfast, I shall be back again presently.' Edward returned them with fresh admiration of the surrounding country. In his walk to the village he had seen many parts of the valley to advantage, and the village itself, in a much higher situation than the cottage, afforded a general view of the whole, which had exceedingly pleased him. This was a subject which ensured Marianne's attention, and she was beginning to describe her own admiration of these scenes, and to question him more minutely on the objects that had particularly struck him, when Edward interrupted her by saying, "'You must not inquire too far, Marianne. Remember, I have no knowledge in the picturesque, and I shall offend you by my ignorance and want of taste if we come to particulars. I shall call hills steep, which ought to be bold, surfaces strange and uncouth, which ought to be irregular and rugged, and distant objects out of sight, which ought only to be indistinct through the soft medium of a hazy atmosphere.' "'You must be satisfied with such admiration as I can honestly give. "'I call it a very fine country. "'The hills are steep, the woods seem full of fine timber, "'and the valley looks comfortable and snug, "'with rich meadows and several neat farmhouses scattered here and there. "'It exactly answers my idea of a fine country, "'because it unites beauty with utility, "'and I dare say it is a picturesque one, too, "'because you admire it. I can easily believe it to be full of rocks and promontories, grey moss and brushwood. But these are all lost on me. I know nothing of the picturesque. I am afraid it is but too true, said Marianne. But why should you boast of it? I suspect, said Eleanor, that to avoid one kind of affection, Edward here falls into another. Because he believes many people pretend more admiration of the beauties of nature than they really feel, and is disgusted with such pretensions, he affects greater indifference and less discrimination in viewing them himself than he possesses. He is fastidious and will have an affection of his own. It is very true, said Marianne, that admiration of landscape scenery is become a mere jargon, "'Everybody pretends to feel and tries to describe with the taste and elegance "'of him who first defined what picturesque beauty was. "'I detest jargon of every kind, "'and sometimes I have kept my feelings to myself "'because I could find no language to describe them "'in but what was worn and hackneyed out of all sense and meaning. "'I am convinced,' said Edward, "'that you really feel all the delight in a fine prospect "'which you profess to feel.' "'but in return your sister must allow me to feel no more than I profess. "'I like a fine prospect, but not on picturesque principles. "'I do not like crooked, twisted, blasted trees. "'I admire them much more if they are tall, straight, and flourishing. "'I do not like ruined, tattered cottages. "'I am not fond of nettles or thistles or heath blossoms. "'I have more pleasure in a snug farmhouse than a watchtower.' and a troop of tidy, happy villages please me better than the finest banditti in the world. Marianne looked with amazement at Edward, with compassion at her sister. Eleanor only laughed. The subject was continued no farther, and Marianne remained thoughtfully silent, till a new object suddenly engaged her attention. She was sitting by Edward, and in taking his tea from Mrs. Dashwood, 
his hand passed so directly before her as to make a ring with a plait of hair in the center, very conspicuous on one of his fingers. "'I never saw you wear a ring before, Edward,' she cried. "'Is that Fanny's hair? "'I remember her promising to give you some, "'but I should have thought her hair had been darker.' "'Marianne spoke inconsiderately what she really felt, "'but when she saw how much she had pained Edward, "'her own vexation at her want of thought "'could not be surpassed by this. "'He colored very deeply, "'and giving a momentary glance at Eleanor, replied, "'Yes, it is my sister's hair. "'The setting always casts a different shade on it, you know.' "'Eleanor had met his eye and looked conscious likewise.' That the hair was her own, she instantaneously felt as well satisfied as Marianne. The only difference in their conclusions was that what Marianne considered as a free gift, Eleanor was conscious, must have been procured by some theft or contrivance unknown to herself. She was not in a humor, however, to regard it as an affront, and affecting to take no notice of what passed by instantly talking of something else, she internally resolved henceforward to catch every opportunity of eyeing the hair and of satisfying herself, beyond all doubt, that it was exactly the shade of her own. Edward's embarrassment lasted some time, and it ended in an absence of mind still more settled. He was particularly grave the whole morning. Marianne severely censured herself for what she had said, but her own forgiveness might have been more speedy had she known how little offense it had given her sister. Before the middle of the day, they were visited by Sir John and Mrs. Jennings, who, having heard of the arrival of the gentleman at the cottage, came to take a survey of the guest. With the assistance of his mother-in-law, Sir John was not long in discovering that the name of Pharaohs began with an F, and this prepared a future mine of raillery against the devoted Eleanor, which nothing but the newness of their acquaintance with Edward could have prevented from being immediately sprung. But as it was, she only learned, from some very significant looks, how far their penetration extended. Sir John never came to the Dashwoods without either inviting them to dine at the park the next day, or to drink tea with them that evening. On the present occasion, for the better entertainment of their visitor, towards whose amusement he felt himself bound to contribute, he wished to engage them for both. "'You must drink tea with us tonight,' said he, "'for we shall be quite alone.' "'And tomorrow you must absolutely dine with us, "'for we shall be a large party.' "'Mrs. Jennings enforced the necessity. "'And who knows but you may raise a dance,' said she, "'and that will tempt you, Miss Marianne.' "'A dance,' cried Marianne. "'Impossible. Who is to dance?' "'Who? Why, yourselves, and the Careys and Whitakers, to be sure. "'What? You thought nobody could dance "'because a certain person that shall be nameless is gone?' "'I wish with all my soul,' cried Sir John, "'that Willoughby were among us again.' "'This, and Marianne's blushing, "'gave new suspicions to Edward. "'And who is Willoughby?' said he in a low voice "'to Miss Dashwood, by whom he was sitting. "'She gave him a brief reply. "'Marianne's countenance was more communicative. "'Edward saw enough to comprehend "'not only the meaning of others, "'but such of Marianne's expressions "'as had puzzled him before.' and when their visitors left them, he went immediately round her and said in a whisper, "'I have been guessing. Shall I tell you my guess?' "'What do you mean? Shall I tell you?' 
certainly. Well, then, I guess that Mr. Willoughby hunts. Marianne was surprised and confused, yet she could not help smiling at the quiet archness of his manner, and after a moment's silence said, Oh, Edward, how can you? But the time will come, I hope. I am sure you will like him. I do not doubt it, replied he, rather astonished at her earnestness and warmth, for had he not imagined it to be a joke for the good of her acquaintance in general, founded only on a something or a nothing between Mr. Willoughby and herself, he would not have ventured to mention it. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.